Hello, I'm Tristan Abbey, editor-at-large of the ALEA Review of Books. This is episode 5 of the ALEA Review podcast. Joining us today is a very special guest, Charles Burnett, professor of the history of Islamic influences in Europe at the Warburg Institute School of Advanced Study in London. Dr. Burnett holds a PhD from Cambridge University and is the author, editor, or translator of literally hundreds of commentaries, books, monographs, articles, and much else. Dr. Burnett, welcome to the show. I'm happy to be with you. Dr. Burnett, you've been working in the field of the history of exact sciences for some four decades. How has the field changed since when you were at Cambridge? What were the big questions then, and what are the big questions now? Well, I think the very definition of the exact sciences has changed since then. We expect the exact sciences to be mathematics, ranging from arithmetic, geometry to astronomy, and to disregard entirely anything which might be occult, which might be spiritual or psychological or whatever. But I think one of the big differences that I have noticed in the history of science in general is that the exact sciences have kind of lost their boundaries. (laughs) And so it's just as important to understand the development of astronomy, mathematics, to understand uh, platonic and hermetic traditions, which might be regarded as being unscientific, as to trace the direction of a particular theorem of Euclid through the centuries to the present day. And certainly in my experience, one example of this is that there are two periodicals in the Archive for the History of the Exact Sciences and another more recent journal called Schiamus, which have the exact sciences in their titles, but have progressively included pretty well every science, because as I say, the exact sciences cannot be hived off, as it were, from the rest. Um, And if there are two trends in teaching of the history of science that I have noticed, or of research in history of science that I have noticed over the last four decades. It is a progressive involvement of uh, what one might have called previously the parasciences of the occult, of the esoteric, and so on, in the whole picture of the development of science. And the second, uh, which is indeed related is the necessity to look beyond the the borders of of Europe, of Western Europe, for the history of science, or Europe and America, let's say, but to adopt a global perspective. And so you can't really look at the development of European science, exact or not, without looking at the sources in in the Islamic world, and beyond that in the Indian and indeed the Chinese world. You cannot really look at the development of a modern universal science without understanding the streams flowing into it from all over the world, but especially from all over Eurasia. And even within my time, or (laughs) let's say since I was born, of course, you have Joseph Needham's great science and civilization in China, which established not only the fact that China has a 
a very rich tradition of scientific thinking, but also so many items of science and technology like gunpowder and paper and compasses and so on came into Europe from China, not to mention alchemy and and some of the more occult sciences. But uh, sorry, that was a rather long way round in answering your simple question. But but I just uh, I'm taking issue really with the fact that we are looking only at a sort of narrow subject of the exact sciences and what's developed over the last forty years. Well, that's that's a fascinating perspective. I'm curious: is it an exaggeration for me to say that? If you take the Babylonians and the Egyptians and the Greeks and the Romans and the Macedonians and the North Africans and the Persians and the Indians and the, and the Central Asians, that there is a single tapestry here of the history of science? You put it very well by mentioning all those different sources. I had two mentors, one might say, um, which, uh, who influenced me in the development of my own scientific thinking. Uh, one, Marie-Thérèse Dalbarini, in fact, who was particularly interested in the transmission of Arabic Islamic philosophy to the West through translations from Arabic to Latin. But the other was David Pingree, who is well known as a professor of the history of science in Brown University. Unfortunately, he, he died three years ago. And he was able to paint the history of science on this large canvas that you mentioned by understanding and documenting uh, the relationships between Egyptian and Babylonian science, between Babylonian Sanskrit science, between, I mean, we're progressing historically, but between Sanskrit science and Chinese, Chinese Sanskrit Arabic going back into the into Western Europe and so on. And because his focus was on astronomy, or let's say the science of the stars, which included so much astrology as well. And astronomy and astrology is based on mathematical paradigms, measurement of courses of the size of, of planets, of the length of the year and that sort of thing. It is one, it is easier, as it were, to trace the transmission from one civilization to another because you can trace very precise numerical values. And if two numerical values for the length of the year or for the obliquity of the ecliptic, for example, coincide, then you say, well, you know, there must have been some connection between these two. Whereas when you're talking about the medical discoveries or or the descriptions of or the discoveries of the color spectrum or whatever, it's more difficult to say precisely this is the the route of transmission, or th these are the the different traditions which we can trace quite precisely from place to place and over a, a long time period. You've also done a fair amount of work on translation, and I suspect many readers and listeners will be familiar with the Arab and Islamic world's translation movement, which preserved ancient and classical texts. I wonder, though, whether given this rich tapestry of many different cultures involved in the history of science, whether it might be more accurate to say that there were a series of translation movements. Well, yes, yes. Traditionally, as it were, the, the study has been of how ancient Greek culture 
was taken over, first of all, into the Middle East through translations into Syriac and Arabic, and then another enormous translation movement from Arabic into Latin, which is my speciality, and then a direct route, as it were, from ancient Greek into Latin and the European vernaculars during the Renaissance. But in fact, the picture is much more complicated. And if you're even if you're looking at how Greek science and philosophy embodied in the works of Ptolemy, Euclid, and Galen, etc., how this was transmitted from the Arabic world to the Western European world, you've got to consider not only translations from Arabic into Latin, but where Jews came into it, because there were many Hebrew translations as well, which were often intermediary between the two. And you had translations going in the other direction too, not so many, but there are societies um, Sicily uh, being one, Toledo, Palermo, let's say, and Toledo being another, and the Crusader states being a third, in which you had <clears throat> several languages, cheek by jowl, in which, you know, there were influences going in, in all directions. And it's not very fashionable these days to talk in terms of influences anyway. Uh, you just happen to have Greek scholars and Latin scholars and Hebrew scholars working in the same milieu who were, as it were, even through a kind of osmosis, affecting each other's ideas and, and writings. Well, speaking of other influences, are there writers who have influenced you over the years? You mentioned David Pingree earlier. Are there others? Yes. Well, I, I tend to say that the two lodestones, as it were, were Marie-Thérèse d'Alverny, because she... I mean, her work was based entirely, almost entirely, on primary sources on manuscripts, mainly in Latin, but also in Arabic. And she was based, well, she spent most of her life actually in the Bibliothèque Nationale de France. So she was based in a book culture, as it were. And then you had David Pingree, who was working in what they called, well, you're very familiar with this, the Department of the History of Math in Brown University, where there were some very well fine scholars, Otto Neugebauer being the father of them all, I suppose, who's best known for writing the history of ancient astronomy. I mean, his history of ancient mathematical astronomy is the classical textbook for the rise of astronomical observation, understanding of the stars and their movements, the philosophy, the theory behind them, the mathematics behind them, and so on. But there were other fine scholars actually working there too, like Gerald Schumer, Abizaks on the Assyrian Mesopotamian material, and Parker working on the Egyptian material. So th this group were very much an inspiration as well. And, well, I suppose I'm bound to say that uh, I was impressed and influenced by my Cambridge background. But you mentioned I did my PhD within the Department of Modern and Medieval Languages because I was concentrating on medieval Latin. And the professor of medieval Latin, Peter Dronke, was not only a very fine literal, literary scholar, I mean, knew all the languages of Europe, and he, he was as much an appreciator of poetry as of fiction in poetry and in prose. But he also viewed all these literary products within the 
philosophical framework of the time. And so indeed he wrote a book on 12th century, or put together a book on 12th century philosophy as well, Europe, 12th century Western philosophy. So one could say that that is another, another influence or the influence of the Cambridge humanists, we might say, people who were interested and learned in, in literature and really appreciated the language, whether the language was English or, or Latin or Greek and eventually Arabic. One question I'd like to ask all of our guests, and it is not a slight at all on the nonfiction books, but I am curious, what is your favorite novel or your favorite fiction work <laughs> of some kind? Well, I, that's much more difficult to answer than, than anything to do with nonfiction. <laughs> I was puzzling over this and I thought, one thing that I was really impressed by was Gabriel Garcia Marquez's A Hundred Years of Solitude. But that was because in this remote Colombian village or whatever, I think it's Colombian, a wandering merchant came along with an astrolabe, an Arabic astrolabe that he was trying to sell to these semi-primitive native Indians of South America. <laughs> but, but people like Borges, Jorge Borges, I was very impressed by the way that they used, in fact, quite a lot of this history of the exact sciences within their short stories and novels. And then more recently, I suppose, I've been reminded just of the, the power of Herman Melville's Moby Dick. But maybe I'm influenced by novels which are so deeply grounded in historical facts. It's perhaps, uh, you know, uh, they say that classics are classics for a reason, uh, and perhaps yes. that's part of it. And you are correct about 100 Years of Solitude. It is the town of Macondo in Colombia. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It was ages since I wrote and read that, yes. Uh, final question for you. Readers or listeners who are interested in your next work, what can they look forward to? Or are you working on anything at the moment? Do you have anything forthcoming? Well, <laughs> I am at that stage, probably when it's incumbent on me to finish so many projects, which I've been working on for many, many years, and if I don't get on with them, they won't be completed. One of those projects indeed is a general history about the transmission of Arabic learning to the West. And that's, um, that's been promised for a very long time. But the other projects are mainly important texts, either in Arabic or Latin, one on the astrolabe, one on talismans, which is about to be uh, published, in fact, but others on, well, astrology and medicine. And these projects will keep me going until I'm no longer able to put uh, pen to paper or fingers to computer keyboards. <laughs> well, I'll pray for many more years of that, and I'll let you get back to it. Thank you very much, Raito. This interview was conducted on June 15th, 2021. I'm Tristan Abbey with the ALEA Review of Books. Join us online at www.aleoreview.com. That's www.aleoreview.com.